the leadership journey. It begins with passion, with purpose, with a sense of calling, of destiny. We know who we are and how we hope to impact others. We're sure of our story. Our mission seems clear. Then, life happens. Distractions, disappointments, detours, struggle. Things that can pull us toward compromise. We stop dreaming. We begin to doubt, to lose focus, to forget, or worse, just settle. We look around and see many who started the leadership journey falling by the wayside. Too busy, weary, burned out. They have fallen, given up, or just walked away. Sometimes leaving the wreckage of organizations, of ministries and churches, of families in their wake. So a few years ago, burdened by what we saw in our own story, as well as the lives of others, we threw ourselves into this conversation. It was our belief we could make a difference and change this leadership story. So we invited leaders from around the country into something different, something deep, an invitation to step away, to quiet down, listen, to deeply connect with God, their own story, and others who are navigating these murky waters to recalibrate, refocus, to set a course toward a life-changing kind of rhythm and a resilient faith, to leave an intentional legacy and lay a foundation to finish well. We do this through two leadership journeys, Rhythm in 20, a three-event, three-year journey for 20 millennial leaders at a time, and Rogue, a two-event, two-year journey for more seasoned leaders. When we started Harbor Ministry, we believed we could change the world just 20 leaders at a time. Now multiple groups into this journey, we believe that more than ever. You see, we have this calling to deeply impact leader stories, and we're seeing that impact in the lives of these leaders multiply in exponential ways. So help us reconnect leaders with the calling, the mission, the passion that made them dangerous in the first place. Help us equip them to live with rhythm, to leave a legacy, and to finish well. Let's rewrite this leadership story. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to a second part of a celebration of what God has done in this decade through this place. Celebrating and remembering are powerful things. I mean, I had a couple of memories on the first two songs there for me uh, that was triggered. One, Turn Your Eyes on Jesus was a song that was sang when I was eighth grade and went forward at Camp Kamika, Central Nebraska, and started a, a journey that would be much more serious about my faith. And every time I hear that song, it gives me chills. And the doxology, we'd circle up at my grandmother's house in Kennesaw, Nebraska, on Sunday after church before the meal. And uh, she'd have us all grab hands as a little guy. He just kind of went with it and sing the doxology. Didn't sound quite like that. But the power of the moment of what they brought in that, as I think back, that's what it was like. I mean, what a powerful memory and, and moment of kind of proclaiming God here in this midst, in this moment. Last week, you heard Brian Clark talk about... Uh, the Decade on Purpose, and several initiatives that we launched at the first of this decade. And uh, it was really encouraging to hear and see all that went on there. And one of the things he mentioned as he talked was multiplied vision, 
multiplying vision, having a kingdom mindset to let the vision go beyond the walls of Lincoln Brian. And he said, we were all surprised to see how that ran its way through leaders and pastors around this country. And uh, that came in hand in hand with the launch of Harbor Ministries. But I think Brian would say if he was here, that one thing I was as well surprised at was the personal impact it had on my life. And uh, so in his absence, thought it'd be very good to hear from his words uh, from him, what, how Harbor and the rogue leadership journey impacted him. And so give a listen to this. I first heard about the concept of kind of a Harbor ministry from Tim before he even came on staff with Berean. So, you know, I've been in ministry now almost four decades and feel like I've worked really hard to maintain healthy rhythms. I don't feel like I burn out or stress out. So I didn't feel like I needed to go for that, but I was very supportive of what Tim was doing. I'd seen a lot of the collateral damage in ministry and I felt like the best way to understand it was to, to get involved and to be part of it. So then a week before the rogue event, everything really changed. Uh, so I had open heart surgery when I was 39. It was a fairly complex surgery and everything went well for about 10, 11 years, but then my aortic valve started leaking. And my cardiologist had said, it's pretty obvious there's gonna have to be a second surgery. I could tell by the way he was talking to me, he was pretty concerned and it felt like this was probably the time. So that really changed my frame of mind. I began to think about uh, Patty and I began to think about the girls. I began to think about the church, trying to process a little bit of why it has to be this way and, and uh, just the impact of all that. So the first full day in Estes is a half day of silence and solitude, four hours of you and your journal and God. Most of the guys were going up to higher ground, uh, better view. And I started up the hill and I remember vividly my heart beating through my chest and thinking this isn't too smart when I'm not quite sure what's happening. So I went down the other direction, and actually there was a meadow down below, there was a creek going through the meadow, there were some woods there. And it was well into the afternoon when I was just trying to process some of these things and pray and, and trust God through all this, uh, but concerned, when I heard the sound of a bull elk bugling. And I actually heard it for a little bit before I actually saw him. He came out of the woods and maybe 50 yards from me. And for probably 30 minutes, just moved around the meadow and continued to bugle every now and then. It was a very majestic scene. But in the midst of all of that, it's like God spoke to me. So I, I didn't hear an audible voice, but it still was really clear. So every time you're tempted to worry and be fearful and anxious, 
about the everyday stuff of life, the birds remind you that God will take care of you. He's promised. About two months before that, I had preached a sermon from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, you know, if I take care of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, can't you trust me to take care of you? And all that came back, and it's, it's as if God was saying, Brian, do you, do you believe what you preach? So to this day, I have a picture by my desk of that elk and another one engaged in a fight that just reminds me of God's faithfulness, of the lesson I learned there, and that no matter what I face, I just need to trust Him. You know, it would be meaningful for me to let the people of Lincoln Berean know that whether they understood this or not, they have been a part of making it possible for Harbor Ministry to have this kind of an impact, not only in my life, but people around the country. And one of the things we want to do is celebrate what God has done, not only here, but all over the country. And it's because of faithful people here at Lincoln Berean that that's been made possible. God, you're the one and only. I'll wait for you as long as you say, everything I hope for comes from you, so why not? Even when oceans rise and fear surrounds me, why not follow you straight into the dark? Life's too short, way too short. The obstacle's great, the darkness and opposition too intense to do this alone. No matter how hard the struggle or how passing, pressing the questions, how deafening the silence or how long a time in the wilderness, we can still find you because the Psalm 62 says, you're a solid rock under our feet, breathing room for our soul, an impregnable castle. With you, we're set for life. My help and glory are in God. You're our granite strength. You're our safe harbor. So trust in you absolutely. Lay our lives out for him. For God, he is our anchor. He's a solid rock. He's steady. He's a safe place for us. And in these days and these moments we're in, the world's been shaken, hasn't it? I mean, our lives, the country, I mean, the things we think are solid, the world, it's been shaken. I've never been in an earthquake, but I've talked to a few people that have. And one of the things that stands out in those conversations is they said, the thing that you think is most solid, the ground under your feet, isn't. And it, and it rocks you and creates this kind of uncertainty and unsettledness that, that tends to stick with you a while. And I think that's kind of what I felt. I don't know about you over these last few months, but the world and the things that we think have been solid have been shaken, shaken at its core. Man, we need that solid rock that Psalm 62 talks about, don't we? I mean, that rock so we will not be greatly shaken, it says in verse 6. We need to drop our anchor there and, and figure out how to tie into that rock so that we can not only endure these times, but be the kind of person that others can look to and say, there's something different there. We need to figure out that, what that is and why that is. Man, we need to cast ourselves and tie to that rock. How do we do that? Uh, Jesus, in the very earliest moments of his ministry, showed us the way. He showed us the pathway to do it. And we got to look back at that. 
and see what it was that he did and what was so powerful in that moment. The Gospel of Mark starts and takes Jesus as an adult and starts the story from there as he enters his life of ministry at 30. And in it first big encounter he has is with this wild man in the desert, this crazy guy that's dressed in camel hair and eats locusts and wild honey. And he has a band of people that follow him. And he's daring enough in those days to say, what you've been hearing isn't the way. God's the way. And he was baptizing people in the river, kind of person that would be just radical enough today we might look at that and go, something off there. Yet this wild man of the desert, John the Baptist, continued to declare God to people who desperately need it. And the first encounter Jesus had of significance in chapter one was with John the Baptist and John baptized him in the river. And what was the first thing that Jesus did coming off that baptism in the very first moment? Verse 12 in Mark 1 says it. God, the Holy Spirit, compelled him to go to the wilderness for 40 days, to go into solitude. Not quite the start you'd think. The man that's going to launch a ministry of three years that's going to shake the world and change its fabric and still shaking it today. The first thing he does right out of the chute is go into solitude and quiet goes into the desert for 40 days. Now, I grew up in the church. I don't know how many of you have or if you're familiar or heard that story, but when it was taught to me, it was kind of taught in the sense of this time of weakening. 40 days in the desert, Jesus is being beaten down. You know, he's thirsty, he's hungry, he's in a weakened state, and in that weakened state, the enemy, the devil, comes and throws every temptation at him. I'll give you, if you get out of this and turn from God, I'll give you a rule, this whole kingdom's yours. Riches, wealth, influence, everything that comes with it. That's what I kind of thought, but my perspective on that has changed significantly as I thought about that and read and been influenced. Author Dallas Willard says, this time in the desert... Only at the end of those 40 days was Jesus at the height of his strength, not weakness. The desert was his fortress, his place of power. He emerged from that desert 40 days ready for anything, anything that would come his way. That was a place of strengthening. Truly believe that because when you put it in the context of everything else Jesus did and how we get account of his life through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see him go to the wilderness, go to the quiet to gain strength and perspective when he needed it. The first thing he does is that. And that after he emerges from that time of strengthening in the desert, he heads to the Sea of Galilee. And he things start to happen. He reaches out to Simon Peter for the first time and says, Peter, follow me. And the text says Peter immediately dropped his fishing net, his livelihood, his business, and followed Jesus on the spot. And the next verse talks about him reaching out to brothers James and John and says, follow me. And, and the text at that point says, they immediately dropped their nets and left their father in the boat and followed Jesus. Now think about that. That's immediate. The dad's still in the boat, probably jumped out, swam, said we're in. That's immediate. The word immediately is used about 11 or 12 times in the first chapter of Mark. So to context to say this is happening, things are on the move. This is time to launch this, this thing that's going to really change and rock the world. And so James and John immediately follow him. And we follow that chapter on down. Verse 32 says, when evening came and news about him spread everywhere, people were being brought to him to be healed. And when evening came, sorry, after the sun had set immediately, 
They were bringing everyone who was ill, and the whole city gathered at his door. But then in the next verse, a couple verses later, in the early morning, when it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away in a secluded place and was praying there. So in the midst of the launch and this full day and days of ministry of immediate things happening, things are happening at fast pace, Jesus withdraws, gets up for everybody else, heads to the wilderness to pray. And we know he was there for a while. It doesn't say how long, but in the next verse, his disciples go looking for him. And and they say in verse 36 and 37, Jesus, where are you? Where have you been? Everybody's looking for you. So it, it was more than 10 minutes, that's for sure. Long enough. And in that moment, Jesus declares the plan. He said, the time has come. I've been sent on this earth to stir it up, to disrupt And it's time to lay it out. We're going from town to town in this area and start declaring the hope that is salvation God offers. And eventually that pathway led them back to Capernaum. And Capernaum's a town with one of the most significant stories for me in the Bible. Uh, It talks about this radical encounter that people had with their crippled friend who couldn't get to Jesus. If you remember and were here last year when I preached, talked about this story in Mark 2. And this story where the crowd had turned out in mass and surrounded the house and no one could get to him because so many people wanted a piece of Jesus to see what was going on. And into that scene came four people carrying their friend on a pallet, a person that had been crippled his whole life, couldn't walk on his own. And they did what it took because they so believed that an encounter with Jesus could change things. That if they could just get their friend to the foot of Jesus, things could change. And so they did what it took. They fought the crowd. They crawled up on somebody's house and cut a hole in the roof and lowered their friend down on a pallet to the foot of Jesus. And you know what? It changed. The public, very public ministry of Jesus was launched because that man picked up that pallet and walked out of there for everybody to see. But that story of Mark 2 doesn't happen without the foundation of Mark 1. doesn't happen. Jesus' time of strengthening in the wilderness, of pulling back from the pace and the speed of which everything was happening and consistently going into the wilderness to be with God and to pray, that's what powered the stories of the Gospels. And we see this not just in the Mark chapter 1, but throughout all four Gospels in the Bible. Many, many times, those that walked with Jesus knew. They knew that he had a practice of withdrawing at often random times, unpredictable times, to go into the wilderness, to pray, to seek strength. That same truth is there for you and I. Jesus did it in the midst of success. You heard in Brian's video him talk about the Sermon on the Mount. That was the time when uh, they had food enough for a few people, and Jesus turned it into fish and bread that fed 5,000. You know, this was the time when you say, this game on, man, let's go. And after that, what's the first thing Jesus does? Withdraws. Doesn't keep it going. He understands he's got to withdraw. Get into solitude, get strength. We know Jesus did it in times of crisis. He did it after his friend, John the Baptist, was killed for his faith. And the first thing that happens after that is Jesus withdraws the wilderness to pray. He does it for direction. He does it when he faces his own trauma and the disappointment and the despair that he was facing with his own death. We see him once again withdrawn, going to a place of solitude and quiet to get strength to face whatever it is that's going to be thrown at him this day. This is a practice as we invite leaders in Rhythm and 20 and Rogue 
under Harbor, under the Royal Harbor Ministries. We invite them into a two or three year process. This is a practice we challenge them to do. Seek solitude and quiet as a discipline, like other disciplines. And those that do that, it's difference making. Those that find ways to quiet and focus on what God has to say to us and withdraw from the noise and the pace long enough to do that, that's difference making. That's the separator. That's what gives people a compelling strength to say something's different. Doesn't mean you don't struggle, but something's different there. That I'll follow. Man, when you slow the words down to that song, don't they become powerful? I mean, do we need this today or what? I won't fear what tomorrow brings. With each morning, I'll rise and sing. My God's love will lead me through. You're the peace in my troubled seas. Oh, yeah. You're the peace in my troubled seas. I mean, we need peace today, don't we? In the midst of all this division and fighting and struggle and on so many levels that we've been exposed to over the last few months. In so many forms, there's so, such discord and struggle and anger and emotion right on the sleeve. We need that peace that going into the harbor can bring. When we launched Harbor Ministry 11 years ago, I was new on the directional team, the leadership team here as well, and, but I felt God moving me that this was a time to kind of get this started. And one of the things that really cemented that was the actual definition of harbor. I mean, a place to give shelter and refuge in the storm, a place so situated with respect to coastal features to provide protection from the storm, a place to drop anchor, to refuel, to resource, to get restored. That was the hope and the vision and the dream of being, bringing people into a harbor on a two- or three-year journey. That's the vision and hope for you and I, too, as well, is to find our way into the harbor. So how do we do that? How do we apply what Jesus so clearly modeled for us in Mark 1 and throughout all the Gospels, that you, no matter how much is going on, and no matter how much success or struggle or pace whatever's going on in your life, that you have to find ways to come into the harbor. You have to find ways to kind of connect with God. Out of that gives you the strength to go on and take that next step and face whatever God has for us. So let me, let me give you a couple practical steps, real practical stuff here. First, schedule it. You got to schedule it. If you don't put it on your calendar, it'll never happen. So uh, my challenge to you this morning, and you've heard me say something like this before, if you've been at Brian here for a while, is get it on your calendar. And before you leave this parking lot today, plug two hours of solitude, of quiet, of entering that kind of desert wilderness, so to speak, for you into your phone or your calendar and commit to it. So you got to schedule it. And then you got to fight for it. Because you and I both know when that kind of thing gets on your calendar, there's going to be 50 other things that come up and that are going to get in your way and demand of your time, most of them good things, I'm sure. Uh, but in all kinds of things you could do and put off, because there's uncertainty around what a couple hours with just God would be like, right? And what, what to do in that time even. But you got to fight for it. So schedule it, fight for it. Find your place. Find your place, the holy place, you know, the kind of place where you can go to kind of deta- detach and then awaken it. Awaken it. Do something that kind of wakes up the senses and your spiritual journey a little bit. Uh, for me, it's a quick bike ride. Might be a hike, a walk, might be a song. Something you've read. Go back to that 
thing that kind of made your heart jump when you did it. Get something that will awaken you. And then look back and look forward. So you're scheduling it, you're fighting for it, you're awakening it. And then in that practice of that time you have, look back and look forward. In my bike ride this week, I go out to the Mopac and, and I don't grind it for the whole hour, grind it for a little bit and get to a spot where I like to go. And then I look back and say, God, what's been going on? And this last one last week, it was like, why am I so angry? I mean, I've felt anger for a while, but now I'm really feeling it. Why is that? Well, I'm angry at a lot of things, honestly, to help to name it. I'm angry at the Big Ten cancel football. I mean, that goes well beyond football, right? I'm angry about that, though. I am, and it felt good to name it. I'm angry that we got friends going through such hard times. We got some really close friends we've walked with, and she's in the battle of her life with cancer. I mean, you know what? That's not okay. You know, I'm angry about that. I'm angry she has to face that. And so many stories like that. And so it really helped to name it. And then I kind of put my gaze forward in the last bit of time. God, what do you want me to do with that? What can I do with that? How can I give that to you? How can I not let it control me? And that's what I do every time. You know, when I'm going into those kinds of solitude and quiet as I look back and then I look forward. So that'd be my challenge to you this morning. This will be difference making. This really will. This will be difference making. Schedule it. Fight for it, awaken it, look back, look forward. And, and those that do this, there'll be a different substance about you going forward. Those that have dared enter a harbor journey with us, like I said, that's been the difference maker and the separator for them. You heard us in the video talk about Rhythm and 20, uh, the leader journey for millennials. We have Rogue for guys upper 30s and up. And uh, this fall, hopefully, all things considered, we're launching Revel, which will be the first women's leadership event under Harbor that's going to be a part of what we're doing going forward as well. There's been hundreds of people, pastors, leaders of businesses from all over the country, 44 states now, several countries that have entered into one of these journeys with us. It's been a ride of our lives. And when Brian said, as he said last week, we were all amazed at what God's done. That's something we can kind of enter in and celebrate together. Uh, last summer, uh, John, who's playing the drums, Brian and I went on an 11-city tour, so to speak, going around to multiple cities where we've had a lot of guys that have entered into a harbor ministry journey with us to kind of get around them, do something like we we're doing this morning and invest in them. And, and it was a really neat time. One of the places we did go to, <clears throat> and we have every year, is St. Petersburg, Florida. That's a place where we've had a lot of guys that have come through. It's been a high-impact area. And I, I wanted to show you some stories of St. Petersburg, Florida, and what God's doing through Harbor in that city, as well as many others around the country, so we can enter into this together and say, man, thank you, God, for what you're allowing us to do and the people of this place that have had such a radically great kingdom mindset. So check out this video. When we started Harbor Ministries, our mission was to change the world by reaching just 20 at a time. That seemed like a crazy calling, and it was. But then God started moving. And over the years, we continue to take leaps of faith, believing God would carry us towards that calling. Now, several years later, we've impacted hundreds of stories, leaders in ministries, businesses, and families. 
They go out from the harbor inspired to live with rhythm, leave a legacy, and finish well. We've reached leaders all over the country, places like Texas, California, New York, and everywhere in between. One area we've seen a ton of impact is in St. Petersburg, Florida. We've now had more than 40 strategic leaders from that area who have been a part of our rhythm and rogue groups. A while back, we held an event in St. Pete and invited everyone who had been a part of those groups, as well as friends and spouses they invited. Thank you, as Brian said, for coming and being a part of this. I mean, it's surreal for us, seeing the faces around the room, and, and uh, so many of you have been through it and now invited others to kind of get exposed to what Harbor is about. God has called us into this radical investment into people. Because we believe if you're radically invested in the 20 right guys at a time, you're going to change the world. There's those that are passionately pursuing God as difference-making kind of people. And nowhere is that more evident than St. Pete, Florida. For me, tonight was about fellowship with other people in our community. It was also a small reunion of sorts for those of us who have walked through this Harbor Ministry thing together. When you see, you know, the same faces that experience the thing with you, and you see the pictures, and you're just reminded of the mission, it helps take you back to that place where God changed you. It just is so refreshing to see somebody thinking so outside of the box for people who really can affect so many people around them and in their community. All of these guys have unique stories and unique circles of influence. Blake was a part of one of our first rogue groups. He was a youth pastor who got burned out, and he was ready to walk away from ministry altogether. But through Rogue, Blake found affirmation that ministry was still his calling. So I was in my first year at Rogue, and I was still trying to figure out what was next, even who I was going to be, where I was supposed to go. And I think it was the last day we were there. And I remember Tim putting his hand on my shoulder and saying, man, you've got the heart of a pastor. And in that moment, I just it just, it just overwhelmed me because it, it just resonated with, yeah, I do feel that. But it's good to hear it from someone else, you know? And that shifted me, like, okay, this is true. Now this will dictate everything else from this point forward. Blake returned to St. Pete and started Radius, a church focused on reaching the inner city by being the hands and feet of Jesus. One tangible way they do that is a food truck ministry started through the church. For every sandwich sold, one meal is given away. And through that, they provide thousands of meals to those in need in their area. Beyond ministry leaders, in St. Pete, a number of business leaders have been impacted as well. Justin is the vice president at a large company where he oversees 1,500 employees. A few years ago, he was struggling to find balance between work and family, and he found himself on a destructive, unsustainable path. The sheer weight of balancing everything on my own was, was absolutely crushing. Something was going to explode, professionally, personally, family. I just could not keep it all together. So I'd heard about rhythm right around the same time. 
that I was willing to try anything. <laughs> My biggest takeaway from that first year was really the need to put in a practice in my life to have space literally and figuratively for an extended period of time to reflect and reorient my heart to God and reprioritizing my support of my wife and my family, my faith, my walk with God, as well as continuing to pursue work and serving the work that God had, had placed me in, but in a much more balanced and rhythmic way the new rhythm in Justin's life disrupted the direction he was headed and changed the future of his family. Now he's a better husband, father, and leader. In just this one area of Florida, we're seeing God use Harbor Ministries to deeply impact the stories of strategic leaders. Impact that multiplies to the thousands they collectively lead and influence. Anytime that you have a small group of people and they have an encounter that changes them, they're going to go tell somebody. They can't, they can't keep that in. It is kind of like uh, you know, the stone thrown in the pond that can just ripple beyond what any of us truly can imagine. That type of impact is exactly why we believe we are accomplishing the mission. Changing the world just 20 at a time. This has been an incredible ride, and uh, that, that event down in St. Petersburg, Florida, we took Bill Griff here from church down to capture some of the stories down there with us, and uh, it was a really big marker time for us and me and the Journey of Harbor, and uh, that was uh, about the 28th of February this year, and I basically just got back from that on a plane, and the world shut down, and uh, a lot of uh, what we were doing, uh, you know, in the next months ahead I had to stop and get postponed, and as y'all are all too familiar with, but, but that event became this huge marker for me. That was one of my takeaways from that. It was just uh, God saying, got fuel back in the tank. You got to keep going. You got to fight through whatever's coming. You got to stay the course and, and you keep taking this because it's so worth it. And uh, I don't know, as we gathered down there, what kind of stands out to you from that time? It was obvious that there was a lot of leaders coming from that area and it was great to see them again. Uh, after the event, though, one of the wives of one of the participants said, you don't realize, you might think St. Pete just this beautiful place that everybody wants to be, but it's incredibly difficult to be a Christian leader in ministry or business here. And they've been praying for a long time to have some way to build up the leaders there and unify them. She also said, the people in this room didn't know each other before they experienced Harbor. I kind of thought that they did, but it wasn't until they went through the rhythm and rogue journey that they realize that they met each other and now they've got that bond there that wasn't there before God used this ministry birthed out of Lincoln, Nebraska to bring them together. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And I think as we saw all those people come in, uh, what I, what struck me as well was Harbor and thus, you know, Lincoln Brian and the many others that, that give to Harbor ministry is having an impact in a city-changing way in St. Pete. I mean, there was people like Blake and Justin who were on the video. They're there and many others like that. I mean, it's impacting this city in Central Florida and uh, several of the largest churches in that area. Their pastors have been through it and have uh, been impacted by this. And uh, Blake's story is amazing in terms of what they're doing and how they're reaching the inner city there. 
Uh, just really, really cool. And I think there is such power in remembering. I mean, such power in remembering and celebrating, right? I mean, one thing that COVID's done is it's robbed us of celebration. I mean, it's taken so much away in that regard. Can't celebrate championships and, and can't celebrate, you know, the ways and movement God and the things God is doing. You know, uh, we, we're missing that. Uh, we have, can't celebrate weddings like they should be celebrated. You know, I mean, can't celebrate people's life, you know, when it comes to the end and to bring people together, even in a funeral setting and really celebrate what God's done through that person. Can't do that. Everything's limited, right? I mean, it's robbed us of celebration. And that's what's been so valuable about the last two weeks and what we tried to do here. Because we got to celebrate. We got to come together and say, look what God has done. We got to remember and celebrate. Remember what God's done in our own lives and what he's so powerfully done through this place as well. And, and hear your stories. We got to find ways to connect and do that. We have to find ways to remember and celebrate what God's done. As I've been preparing for this weekend, I thought over the last 12 more years that I've been in leadership in this place and then over the last decade of really focusing in on Harbor Ministry and what God's done. So thankful that I get to be a part of that. So thankful for this place because when I think of the children's ministry here and the youth and the college ministry that keeps slugging it out and doing such great work and the men's ministry and the women's ministry and Shereen and Marlis and all their faithful years of them being given and spiritual care and all the dynamics of what goes on in this place. There's so many beautiful stories we've got to celebrate, got to remember. And uh, we've got a chance to focus the last couple of weeks on some specific areas, but how about what God's doing in India through the heart of a man who's been relentlessly pursuing what God has in India and Jeff's leadership. It's been beautiful, amazing. You know, hundreds and hundreds of churches throughout that, throughout that country. As a result, people getting changed in the darkest, hardest, in one of the darkest, hardest places to live. Amazing. And then you look at bringing leaders into a harbor here. Because it's not just about 20, as we tried to illustrate this morning. It's about what those people do and who they lead. And as a result, some of the largest churches in St. Pete, Florida is being impacted and changed. And thousands of people in that area as a result of that. Man, that's reason to celebrate. That's reason not to forget. COVID and what's going on in the dynamic of this country right now, that's not going to win. There's going to be a time when things change. The healer's coming, is coming, active already. I mean, he's coming. Things are going to change. He's going to, he's entering our story. He's here now. He's here with us. And we sense that it's coming into this weekend service that God was about this and going to meet you guys uniquely in the place you need to be met. I just want to stand here and say thanks, you know, as someone who's been in the mix of this, thanks to you and and this church for freeing me up in something that not typically has been done. And to pursue a ministry calling, you know, that's not a regular thing in most churches that allow me to do that. And and I see God so powerfully work. I was looking at that picture uh, that Brian Clark was in, you know, that he showed of that group of rogue he went through. And that group was... Brian Olson, Brian Clark, Mark Bernat, Stu Kearns, other pastors from Florida and other places. And I think, what an amazing thing to see God work and have that change. But for you and I, we need to remember and we need to celebrate. So we're going to celebrate with a song here pretty soon, but I'm also going to ask you to remember 
what God's done and how he's coming into this story and into this year in the U.S. of United States of America in a powerful way. He's working through this. Don't forget it. I want to close with this passage out of Isaiah 35. So powerful. I truly, honestly believe these words are for you today. There's something in here for each of us. And so I'm just going to ask you to stand and we're going to pray this passage through as I read it to you. Again, um, I'm kind of having a moment here as I look around, see the people that have fought through what they need to fight through and get here, showing up. I mean, that's so much of this, showing up. And uh, God's meeting us here. And so let me just close with this Isaiah 35 passage. Energize these limp hands. Strengthen these rubbery knees, God. Tell fearful souls. If there's ones in this room, tell fearful souls, take courage, take heart. God is here. He's right here. You believe that? (laughs) He's here. He's right here. He's on his way to make things right and to redress all wrongs. He's on his way. He will save you. Listen, friends, blind eyes will be open, deaf ears unstopped. Lame men and women will leap like deer. The voiceless break into song, springs of water burst into the wilderness, streams flow in the desert. Hot sands will become a cool oasis. Thirsty ground, a splashing fountain, barren grasslands will flourish richly. There will be a highway in this place called the Holy Road. No one rude or rebellious on this road, only for God's people. Impossible to get lost on this street, on this road. Not even fools will get lost on this street. Nothing or no one dangerous or threatening on this road. Only the redeemed will walk on this road. The people as God saved will come back on this road and they're going to sing their way home. They're going to sing their way all the way to Zion. Amen.